From WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Maya Angelou, Ava DuVernay, Alicia Keys, Coretta Scott King, Toni Morrison, Felicia Rashad, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Wanda Sykes, Ella Fitzgerald, and Wilmington's own Althea Gibson. The common thread? They are all high-achieving women. They are all women of color and they are all members of the sorority Alpha Kappa Alpha. The historically African-American sororities and fraternities in the Greek system are often referred to as the Divine Nine, five fraternities and four sororities created in the 20th century. With the exception of one fraternity, they all came into being in the early 1900s when segregation was alive and well in higher education. For well over a century, the women of Alpha Kappa Alpha have quietly yet powerfully influenced life in these United States. In 1908, Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated, becoming the first intercollegiate African-American sorority. For the better part of that century, 90 years as of June 2022, members of the Wilmington chapter, Alpha Psi Omega, have given their time and talents to service in the Cape Fear region. Some of the local members are well-known activists. For example, Bertha Todd, educator, leader, and civil rights champion. Most of the time, the work of these women doesn't show up in the top stories. A primary focus is education, particularly for those in the inner city. The group works to raise awareness on critical health issues for women of color, the well-documented disparity in health outcomes among the races, youth violence, homelessness, and food insecurity. As they celebrate 90 years of community service, we're going to meet two current members, hear about their work, and also perhaps gain a new perspective on the issues on which they work. Crystal Frey runs a state farm insurance office in Wilmington, where she is an agent. She is also the current president of the Alpha Psi Omega chapter of AKA. Crystal Frey, welcome to Coastline. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. It's great to have Mm -hmm. you with us. Janiqua Palmer is director of outreach for the YWCA Lower Cape Fear. Janiqua Palmer, welcome to the program. (laughs) Thank you so much, and I'm so happy to be here. Really glad to have you with us. Thank you. In the beginning, I mentioned some of these very famous high-achieving women who are members of Alpha Kappa Alpha. But as I also said, and as both of you have said to me in separate conversations, you do a lot of your work quietly mm-hmm. in Wilmington, in the Cape Fear region. Why is that, Crystal Frey? <clears throat> well, I believe that um, service is an unselfish act. Uh, it's not for the glory. It's for the responsibility. Um, we often hear that to whom much is given, much is required. And so you have a group of women who have achieved individual success on some level in their careers, and they're educated, they have the resources, they have the time, they have the intellect to put together programs to give back. So it's not about any type of individual recognition. It's about fulfilling that obligation and that 
calling to serve others. Uh, I can speak for myself as a first-generation college student. Um, one of the uh, dreams that I had, especially growing up, was that if I were ever in a position, I wanted to be able to create a program for young teenage girls. So I, coming from an underprivileged background and having an opportunity to be exposed to enrichment programs made all the difference in the world for me. And I just felt like as soon as I had the opportunity, I wanted to do that for other people. And that's, to me, what Alpha Kappa Alpha is all about. It's not about the glory. It's about the service. Now, both of you mm -hmm. had experiences with women who were members of Alpha Kappa Alpha before you were old enough mm -hmm. to join the sorority yourself. Janiqua Palmer, you moved to Wilmington later. You are not from Wilmington. Tell us right. about your first experiences, your first encounters, and what you thought. So um, first, the audience can't see, but you have on pink and green, <laughs> and you look really nice in your pink and green. Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I would say my first interaction with Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated was in high school. Um, a lot of I went to a predominantly white high school, and so I had a counselor there who was very passionate about ensuring that students of color, both black and Latinx, had an opportunity to, you know, get mentorship, had an opportunity to um, have exposure to colleges and universities. I, too, am a first-generational college student. Neither one of my parents have a higher education degree. They both just graduated with a high school diploma. And so, you know, it was through that mentorship, through eating lunches, you know, and just like laughing at lunch, um, you know, they would come and sit with us just during lunch. Um, they would come and help us fill out our college applications. Then college applications was on a paper. <laughs> Show my age a little bit. And you would fill out the pieces of paper, the, the paper application, and then that is how you had uh, got accepted to college. And so it was through that mentorship that, you know, I was able to go to college. And then once I got to college, my favorite professor was a woman of AKA. Um, my chaplain was a woman of AKA. And those women just poured into me. And when I say poured into me, you know, they made sure I had. They made sure when I didn't understand financial aid that I had someone to go to. Um, they made sure that when I needed sponsorship, when I needed an internship for the summer, these were the women who ensured that I was able to succeed in my collegiate, um, in the collegiate environment. Um, and so, I mean, just the mentorship and the love and the investment um, that I had from women of AKA, it just, it seems so aspirational. <laughs> like, you know, these women are so remarkable and successful and bold and brilliant and poised. And I think little me, you know, I'm like, I, I don't know if I can ever be one of those women, but it just seems, you know, remarkable to see the collective voice, to see the collective gathering, to see the collective support, to see the sisters. Um, and that was my first, those were my first experiences. Crystal Frey, mm -hmm. you also had some early experiences with the women of Alpha Kappa Alpha. And, and you said to me that one of the things the white community forgets a lot or maybe doesn't even realize is that going to work for women mm -hmm. wasn't 
a revolution no. in the African American no, community, not at all. and that <laughs> that was part of yeah. your family. So, right. so tell us about your first encounter with some of these women and what that what that did to expand your sense of possibility. <clears throat> well, my my mother was a church going woman, and so. <clears throat> A big part of our life was going to church. She sang in the choir. And, of course, it was a predominantly black church. But um, in our community, all the women worked. That's that's what they did. It was rare for someone to have the privilege or the honor to stay at home. And back when I was growing up, most African-American women who were professionals were in education. Mm-hmm. And so our first exposure to African Alpha Kappa Alpha women was usually at school. And like she said, they were our counselors, they were our principals, they were our teachers, and they were the ones who um, I think would recognize talent and then nurture that talent and water that talent and encourage that talent. And in our communities, uh, the working class, the educated, the pastor, the judge, we all lived, and I grew up in Raleigh, so we all lived on the same side of town, and we all went to church together. We were all a part of that community, so we had those role models, not just in school, primarily in school, but also in church and also in the neighborhood, and so our children, I think, um, there was also a lot more trade education back when I was in high school as well, but we were, I think, um, shepherded into our destiny by the people in our community who were recognizing our talent and looking out for us. And I remember my guidance counselor in high school, I went to Broughton High School, and I told her, you know, I want to go to college, but I I don't think we can afford it. And she said, oh, no, we're going to work that out. Mm -hmm. And so she called my mom, and they she came to my house and sat down and explained, like Janiqua said, uh, scholarship applications, financial aid, uh, we put it together and we made it work. And um, had it not been for her, I probably would not have gone because I didn't have that information. I didn't have those resources. When you think about that, mm-hmm. just the fact that we're talking about expectations, I guess, in kids, we're talking about access to resources and information, understanding that there even are resources, and that's all we're talking about? That's like, right. doesn't it? Does it blow your mind a little bit when you think about the potential in kids that might not come across that kind of support? Absolutely. And I think that is why we are so passionate in our sorority. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because we realize if it weren't for women that both of us came in contact with, we would not have, we wouldn't be on the path that we are now. And that is why we are so passionate about ensuring that our programs are implemented because we know that there are kids right here locally in our community who have all the potential but don't have the access or the knowledge to be able to, you know, apply to college. Um, I think right before COVID, we hosted a FAFSA program right here at Warner Temple where all we did, it was a lot of the sorority members, we sat there with our laptops and parents came in with their children and we went through the FAFSA with them, like showed them how to apply for financial aid. And I mean, we had one parent that came in with like envelopes of like, this is, these are my taxes <laughs> and, you know, this is where my child wants to go to school. But, you know, 
again like some of these ways that we are silent does not necessarily mean we are silent and in the background because families knew to come to us for help you're listening to coastline janiqua palmer and crystal Frey, both members of alpha kappa alpha are with us today when we come back from the short break we'll talk a little bit about some of that work in wilmington and how it might differ from other parts of the u.s stay with us i'm rachel lewis hilburn for coastline Listening to Coastline, I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. Alpha Kappa Alpha was the first intercollegiate African American sorority in the U.S., incorporating in 1908. The Wilmington chapter, Alpha Psi Omega, came into being not long after that in 1932, and the women of this group are still changing lives through their lifetime commitment to community service. Crystal Frey is the current president of the local chapter. Janiqua Palmer is the current member, and they are both with us today. Now, both of you came from other parts of North Carolina. You grew up in other places, and then you arrived in Wilmington, which in a lot of ways is very different from where you grew up. Mm -hmm. So, Crystal Frey, let's start with you. What was your first impression of Wilmington when you came here? <clears throat> Quite frankly, my first impression was that it was not very diverse. And when I say diverse, I'm not just speaking of racially diverse. I just felt like it wasn't as economically diverse as some other places that I had lived. I would describe it to some of my friends as not having as many layers, um, that there was a top and a bottom and very little in between. Um <clears throat> And as I've, I've been here 13 years now, and I will say I maintained a home in Raleigh for a long time because that still felt more like home, but I'm selling it now because Wilmington is now home. That's and a big step. <clears throat> it's a big step. Wow. And because you have to learn how to create your own community, and we have done that. Uh, primarily through other people who have relocated here. Um, but we, we've begun to create our own community, and I, I love it here. And I've had an opportunity to work with some really wonderful people who are also committed to community service, which is my passion. So I work with the Community Boys and Girls Club board. Uh, I'm on two boards there, and the Cape Fear Museum board. And so I think that I have an opportunity to make, a, even if it's a small impact, some kind of impact here. But I am concerned, I'm always concerned that um, we're doing things that are significant and impactful for the least of us, always. And so, like I said, I've, I've met and I'm working with a lot of people who are passionate about serving the community, my prayer, my hope is that we are making an impact in, in a significant way. Yeah, and we're going to talk specifically about some of that work mm -hmm. in a minute. But Janiqua Palmer, you also came, you came from Cary. 
And so arriving in Wilmington was it was a result of your husband changing jobs. Right. So you got here and what did you think? Um, Candidly, I also was like, um, where where are the black people at? Um, where are you know the indigenous community community? Um, where are my Latinx brothers and sisters? Um, I would walk into restaurants a lot, and it would just be me and my son. Um, we're the only people of color in the entire restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, And it took me a while to get used to the lack of diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me a while to get used to um, some areas of town looking so privileged. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, and then other areas of town looking so, looking like there were a lack of resources, um, a lack of economic mobility. Um, And so that was kind of like my first um, instinct of like where you know where are my people at and then finding where my people were and wanting to know you know how is the quality of life so different and so I'll give you an example um, the food desert in Wilmington which you know kudos to the Northside Co-op in Sierra Washington and all those working with her they're doing a phenomenal job of you know bringing fresh fruits and vegetables to the north side um, but you know in Mayfair near Landfall there's like five to seven grocery stores in like one area and you drive literally five miles five to seven miles down the street and there's like nothing um, and so the disparities also that I saw within the community were quite alarming um, but you know I also get to be invested in that work because of the job that I have with the YWCA Lower Cape Fear right mm-hmm. now we talked before we started recording Mm -hmm. about keeping the focus on empowerment Mm -hmm. and on the positive productive work that you're doing however alpha kappa alpha published a history book in 2013 Mm -hmm. and part you know it starts with the incorporation in 1934 but it also sort of talks about the landscape in the united states at that point it talks about how the great depression had taken hold when when the sorority was right incorporated mm-hmm. or yeah. I, i'm sorry i need to correct myself right. on that front 1908 <laughs> is when the national sorority was incorporated at howard university and then the chapter alpha psi omega was created in 1932 so i'm right. going to fix it a little bit more i was about to say <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. 1908 we was the first uh, chapter of alpha kappa alpha in, at Howard University in 1913, it was incorporated so that it could then be perpetuated nationally. So we, it's ter- it's, it's verbiage that we use, but <laughs> a, you know it, we want to we don't want to get leave here and get corrected. Like why didn't you why didn't you that? correct her? Yeah, <laughs> so, no, that's the other members will <laughs> as they should. It's important. It's important. Yeah, so right. thank you for that. So. So then it was the early 1930s. Great Depression is is affecting the United States. Mm -hmm. It's only 34 years after the coup of 1898. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who've studied the effects of 1898 who would Mm -hmm. say, you know, Wilmington was a thriving city before that. It had a professional... um, Affluent, Mm -hmm. well-educated black population. Many of those people were driven out of town. Mm -hmm. We don't know how many were killed. They had to leave their wealth behind in many cases. And we still don't know the full scope of that. 
some people would argue that's what you're seeing when you arrive here mm-hmm. and see uh, almost no African-American middle class. Mm-hmm. What will it take to heal that? And how important is that understanding in terms of your work today, Crystal Frey? <clears throat> so it's it's evident Definitely, as you as you mentioned, and the fact that we continue to lose our African American population, right? As the population of this area grows, the percentage of African Americans is not growing. If anything, it's shrinking. Um, and I I just remember being on working with another organization, and I brought up I was on a diversity committee of this organization and I was the only African American or person of color on the diversity committee and I mentioned how I found that it was not as diverse as other places and someone said what do you mean it's just this is the most diverse place I've ever been and so that that was a white person said that yes okay yes just clarifying um and You know, personally, I can only speak for myself. I'm not a spokesman for the African-American race. But one thing that I don't advocate is I don't advocate um, the thought that we can eliminate racism. I I don't think that's possible. But I think that I know. She, and Janique was making a face here because that is part of the YWCA's motto. I, I, so I, I don't think well, that, but I think that we can advocate for life and progress and achievement and success in spite of racism. I want racism to be the racist problem and not my problem. I told you when my, my oldest son went to college and he came home and he's, oh, ma. And then he had gone to integrated schools, you know, his whole life, played on integrated teams and goes to college and he feels this great divide and he comes home and he says, mom, they're all racist. And, and I said, well, honey, let that be their problem, right? You're all wrapped up in a, bu- in a you know, ball and you're angry and you're losing sleep and they sleep like babies at night. I said, so you leave that with them and you continue your uh, plan of life in spite of. That's how you defeat racism. We had a politician recently say gun violence was because of black people and gangs in Chicago. And I'm like, well, we're not all in a gang in Chicago, and I have personally never owned a gun. Those are the attitudes that we're trying to fight and we're trying to change, and I personally don't think that with the polarization, I'm not optimistic about that, but I am optimistic on the abilities and the capabilities of the people in our community, and, and I think we are attention is misguided in trying to change hearts and minds. Maybe not 100%, (laughs) but I I think we should devote more of our attention and our energy to our own communities and, and, and supplying the resources and the support and the money that we all need to advance and succeed. And that, 
that's that's how I see we change that. I think, <clears throat> and that that's speaking for only myself, only sure. for Crystal Frey. So. And that and that's fair. <laughs> and maybe part of the beauty of this is that there are different prongs, mm-hmm. different aspects mm-hmm. or facets of the solution. And so what when you think about eliminating racism, and that's part of what you do professionally, Janiqua Palmer. <laughs> She's trying to put me out of a job. <laughs> uh, I'm not. <laughs> what I would say is that um, the black community or communities of color are not monolithic. You won't find all black people subscribing to one notion, one thought, one theory. Um, And the same goes for our sorority. We are in the same sorority. Mm -hmm. We have differing opinions. We have different ways of viewing how we can implement what the solutions are. Um, But I always try to keep in mind that our end goals are the same Mm -hmm. and that it's for our community to be successful that's for women to continue to be educated that's for our families to be strengthened and to be stronger and for people to be able to live a well balanced life with great access mm-hmm. um and so that would be my response to, to that <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's fair well let's let's talk about some of the ways that okay. alpha kappa alpha does this and crystal you uh, head up the debutante program. Mm-hmm. And when you were first explaining this to me, I admitted I'm not from a debutante background, far from it. And when I think about what that is, I just think about the sort of the stereotypical high society, young women who aren't even fully grown women right. yet being presented as potential trophies for men to live their lives in high society. And you said, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> I was like, wow. No, I'm talking about. Again, different opinions. I was like, wow, how did she get there? So what, what is the debutante program? <laughs> so our debutante, and, and um, I was, we kind of rotate chair people because it's a big undertaking. Um, and so we... Um, So we have a lot of young women who are never exposed to a formal social setting. Why is that important? It's important because, and we emphasize it more so from a business etiquette standpoint. So, um, you know, in my career, one of the things that I did for a long time was I traveled we had dinners, we had conferences, we had banquets, we had, and there's protocol that you have to know how to follow. I mean, you're already uncomfortable because nine times out of ten, you're the only, the only woman, the only black woman or, or something. And so part of our uh, debutante program was an etiquette workshop. So we start the workshop off with uh, college education, etiquette, um, self-esteem is a part of that. How and do you teach self-esteem? We just talk to them about respecting themselves, really. And, you know, I am a big advocate for love yourself first. That's why I say I don't want to fight. Let the racist be racist. <laughs> I have to love myself first. And we've, we've got to imbue our community with confidence that we are enough just as we are. Mm-hmm. And so after a couple of years of the debutante, you know, we did a survey, and the girls thought, you know, learning how to use the right knife and fork was was not. Um, they didn't need to to 
they thought that was kind of corny, right? So we morphed it more into our young women are bombarded with images that could negatively impact them from a career standpoint, right? And so they've got to know the difference between what's real and what's reality TV, what's appropriate in different situations and what's not appropriate in different situations. So you're teaching media consumption as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody could use. (laughs) I mean, we we talk to them about, I mean, when I'm hiring, when I'm interviewing, the first thing I do is go to social media and look to see what I find out there, you know. But sometimes um, underprivileged girls, they know what's at home and they know what's on TV, right? And we have to show them that there's something else besides that that's going to impact you if you do want to pursue a certain certain career path. And you can't show up at a job interview, you know, with a, with a dress to here. And, I mean, it, it's not our place to judge, but an employer, it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. And other than the prom, a lot of them, other than the prom and possibly a wedding, they don't ever attend a formal event. And I just would like to jump in. I think the other thing with, and I and I would rather use underserved than mm-hmm. underprivileged. Right. Um, but in some of the underserved communities, which also does not, and I also want to make it clear, this does not mean that these are all black right. young girls, right. right? So when we're thinking about underserved, all populations have a population mm-hmm. that is underserved. Um, and the reason we do programmings like this is because there are populations that are underserved. Mm-hmm. And our mission is to serve all mankind and is to push our members of our sorority to go in these communities and ensure that these women or and or individuals who are underserved, that we have the opportunity to serve them. We have an opportunity to show them, you know, if you have the opportunity to go to a business meeting, how not to further embarrass yourself <laughs> and also to, to also to correct the imposter syndrome, right? Because when you are underserved, a lot of times when you get to the table, you feel like I sh- don't belong here, right. right? And you start having these imposter syndrome thoughts of like, you know, I don't know how I got here. I shouldn't be here. I don't know which fork. And so some of our programmings helps young people to think through these scenarios so when they get to the table, because we know they have potential, we know they have a bright future, that they show up to the table confident Mm -hmm. and able to perform, able to answer, and able to conduct themselves, you know, as young professionals. And I think that that is very important. And not distracted by those little social graces that would probably silence them. Mm-hmm. Right. Just one moment mm-hmm. when they look at four different forks right. and aren't sure which one to pick up, and then suddenly they're unable to. Their brain is co-opted by that, and they can't engage in right. what's happening at the right. table. Mm-hmm. So how do you, aside from teaching the etiquette, when you talk about imposter syndrome mm-hmm. in a kid, for instance, mm-hmm. How how do you counteract that? How do you teach a child that they are enough? 
So one thing that I would say, which is why I love my sorority, um, is uh, one of the programs that we have at the YWCA is the Grandparent Support Network, where we support grandparents and caregivers raising their grandchildren. And a lot of times, my sorority sisters are who I call to come and speak to the kids. Um, I call the fr- our fraternity brothers to come and speak to the kids and share about their experience. Mm-hmm. You know, share you know the moment when they showed up and felt like they had imposter syndrome. Describe it as imposter syndrome. Describe what they felt and how they went through it so that the kids could identify those touch points. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask you more about that (laughs) when we come back from this break. You're listening to Coastline, two members of the longest standing African-American sorority in the U.S. are my guests today, Crystal Frey and Janiqua Palmer. We'll take a short break. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Alpha Kappa Alpha, the first intercollegiate African-American sorority, was born in 1908 at Howard University. Just a quarter of a century later, a Wilmington chapter came into being. Alpha Psi Omega. With me today are two of its current members. Crystal Frey is president of the Wilmington chapter. And Janiqua Palmer is a current member, also director of outreach at YWCA Lower Cape Fear. And as we've been talking, we have been slowly uncovering some differences in approach to what you consider the work here in the Cape Fear region. Part of this may be generational, but can we just talk about some of those differences and why these are so kind of passionately held positions. I'll I'll start with you, Crystal Frey. You've said this is about empowering the black community, Mm -hmm. showing possibility to people, Mm -hmm. helping them along the way, creating a support network, providing resources. It is not about educating white people. That is not a responsibility you need to have. Correct. I I just think that... And we talked about it. I was born in the 60s. I grew up in the 70s. Um, it was say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, unapologetically proud. Um, and I'll give you the antidote that we talked about. And I told you I was on a panel, another panel, and they asked us, what does freedom mean to me? And I said, freedom means that I'm free to live where I want. I'm free to work where I want. I'm free to open my business where I want. And I'm free to be successful at that business where I want. And there was another panelist who said, well, you're not from here, Ms. Frey. Meaning from Wilmington. From Wilmington. And, but I want my life to be about freedom. What did that person mean? When they were they saying you can't you open can't, a business here, or what or, was the? You know, when I before I even came, I reached out to someone and I said, you know, talk to me a little bit about the competitive landscape there. You know, what 
what areas or what sections are we most competitive? You know, you run a state uh, farm mm-hmm, insurance right. office. Right. I mean, you're you know, how is our rate compared to our competitors there? And um, they also basically said, well, I'm here to tell you, you're not you're not going to be able to come here and be successful. And I just could not believe that. But it was a real um, sincere and lived experience that I didn't have and I didn't bring it with me. And I want to share my experiences and my attitude with others because we can succeed. We can always succeed in spite of. So when you talk about, Crystal, you don't want to educate white people. I don't have time, right? But I can educate the underserved, as my as my sister uh, Janiqua so eloquently says, and others in our community about what's possible yeah. in spite of whatever their attitudes or racism, in spite of that. We have to. And that was your journey, too. Mm-hmm. That was such a big part of your journey right. was just learning about what's possible for you, looking at women that you exactly. could emulate right. as you were growing up. But Janiqua Palmer, director of outreach <laughs> at YWCA Lower Cape Fear, you're saying, um, as a member of a different generation also. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This, the education of white people is sometimes part of your job? Yes, absolutely. I think, um, and and it's not necessarily even the education of white people. It's just the education in general is really important. And sometimes because our society is built on systems and our systems um, center whiteness um, and whiteness being um, typically white, male-centered, high-class, right? Um, That when, as these systems that are embedded in racism, they have a way of tilting, shading, and biasing access that um, is needed for the upward mobility of of people in general. Um, And we know, like, uh, companies who have started diversity initiatives, they've seen higher sales. They've seen um, better impact. Um, We know economically, like, diversity is the way to go because everyone in the system benefits. But if we continue the systems the way they are built currently, then it just perpetuates a cycle of systematic racism. And so as much as I honor my my sister Crystal over here, you know, I do differ in the fact that we have to educate people on just awareness. Like, are you aware of the privilege that you have? Um, I've known a lot of um, some of the people that I've even worked with at the YWCA. You know, um, there was one particular person who was kind of like, you know, well, I grew up impoverished, but, you know, I am now, look where I am now, I'm giving back, I'm better, I don't understand why it's not like this for all communities, right? And so my response is, well, we have to look at the systems, right? If you go to the doctor, you're believed. Um, If you go to the doctor, you know, as a woman of color, when I go to the doctor and I say I have pain, you know, there's a disbelief of the pain that I'm really in, right? Right. 
We see that in um, black maternal health, right? Black babies are dying at a higher rate. We see that with housing. Um, I think there was a whole new article that just came out about how many black people were denied loans during the pandemic, um, you know, to obtain businesses, to obtain houses. Um, So we can see all of these things. And when they play out in our own community, um, as much as we want to ignore it, we have to educate people so that when they are sitting there at the bank and you are a loan officer, you don't use your personal biases to say yes or no. Um, I recently got a certificate in diversity in the workplace last year, and one of the things that they even talked to us is the algorithms sometimes are biased Mm -hmm. because we put in the algorithms. We tell them what outputs we want, and if we aren't aware of our biases, yeah, somebody, we may input these numbers, but if it shoots out a biased opinion, then even then our systems, again, are embedded in racism, and they're embedded in ways where some people win and some people lose. And unfortunately, the people that lose historically have always been people of color. And so, you know, my passion is to educate people in the community because I feel like and my hope is once people are made aware they can make different choices and those different choices can lead to a more equitable society and so you're talking about the people who are sitting in a position that are operating within those systems absolutely if you can educate them and get them to be independent actors then they can become allies and they can help change the system from within Yes, and call it out. You know, if you, you know, um, I had one organization come to the YWCA. You know, they were calling because their housing community was was not diverse, and they didn't understand why. And the name of the housing community was Blank Plantation. Well, we're free. We don't want to live on a plantation, <laughs> you know. Um, so maybe let's start with the naming. You know, let's let's try to diversify naming because black people were free from plantations and we don't want to live back on them. Um, you know, like and it's little small steps like that that can make the difference in someone's life um, and that can help prevent additional racist actions um, and can make you aware of the biases that you personally have. Um, you know, or if you're looking around the room and you're like. All I see is people who look like me or all I see is people who are, you know, white and I'm the only, you know, my thing is how can I as a black woman when I go in a room and I'm the only woman of color, you know, who else can I call who can sit here with me? And a lot of those questions were embedded in me from my grandparents, from my parents, and also from the sorority. Like who else can I call on who can be an asset at this table? We were talking earlier about some of the programs that Alpha Kappa Alpha engages in mm-hmm. to to empower people. And we talked about how important it is for children to start to feel a sense of confidence, self-esteem, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. And uh, Janiqua Palmer, you were talking a little bit just about what it means to to help a kid work through the idea of imposter syndrome and get to the other side of that to, yes, I deserve to be here. And I think you had just kind of begun <laughs> that, that topic. What, what else is involved in that? What, what have you seen, and this is for both of you, mm-hmm. what really changes a kid's sense of her worth? 
Okay. Um, the 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 first thing that comes to my mind is I'm a big advocate for community resilience um, and um, decreasing the effects of ACEs score. For people who don't know, ACEs is adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. adverse community experiences, adverse environment experiences now. And so one of the things that community resilience teaches us is one consistent adult can help eliminate the effects of ACEs, Mm -hmm. can help soften the effects of ACEs. And so I think, you know, seeing that one consistent person makes a difference. It means that somebody will show up for you. Um, It means that somebody does care for you outside of your home. Um, It could be the educator. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of the members of our organizations are educators, are teachers, um, are professors, um, And so, you know, having that one educator that believes in you, that you can do it even when you don't believe in yourself, um, and then you succeed because they've coached you the whole way, um, and you get to the other side of success, and you can look back and say, if it wasn't for that member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, like, I wouldn't have graduated. Um, And Uh being able to do that over and over and over again, I think is just vital. One of the elements of this sorority that I found so interesting, which is in that uh, history book Mm -hmm. of Alpha Psi Omega, the local chapter that was published in 2013, is how important the arts is Mm -hmm. to the sorority. And so many of the nationally Mm -hmm. known women are artists of some kind. They're writers or they're actors or singers. How does that play out locally? And why are arts so important well, in in our community, just like in a lot of communities, especially now, um, our young people aspire f- to what they see. And a lot of times what they see the most are entertainers and athletes. And um, some people feel that that's um, maybe not as positive as we want it to be, but I feel like any positive image is a, gr- a good influence. And so... <clears throat> And also, if they are exposed to uh, something inspirational through the arts, it becomes aspirational, and they will investigate other avenues of uh, of existence. And so it's very important for us to provide those types of enrichment opportunities to our young people and broaden their horizon. Um, I've worked with children in the past, and when you talk to them, their world is, you know, four square blocks. (laughs) And so some of these activities really are to open up their world and open up their eyes to other possibilities for their life. You know, we want to take the clout away from whatever negatives may be happening in that that small world that they're living in and show them not just through who we are and what we're doing, but what others are doing as well. And, and then that may plant the seed of what's possible for that young person. And I'll also like to say the arts are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, I mean, in many ways, I hope nobody argues with me, but like <laughs> black people started the arts yeah. in many ways, right? I'm not um, <laughs> um, and so from blues to jazz yes. to gospel to spoken word to visual art, um, you know, black people are are 
aren't people. We mm-hmm. are co- a people of culture. Co- mm-hmm. And a lot of times we are passionate about the arts is because it teaches our history. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes kids won't necessarily pick up the history book. But if there's a play about it, you know, they can go and watch it. If there is, um, you know, a visual art piece about it, we can go and explore it. Um, if there is a way that they can interact with the art in some ways, like it does, uh, it's just like Crystal said, it opens their mind, right. it opens their thoughts, it opens their ways that they're, that life can be different right. or that life is different or that life has layers, um, that life can Anything you can imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be, you can do, you can see, you can write. And so, you know, we look at arts as an avenue to like a whole nother world, a whole nother being, and also a step back into the past of who we are historically. Yeah. So if if somebody was listening to this conversation Mm -hmm. and they thought, oh, I wish my child (laughs) or this child had access to these women mm-hmm. how could they find you well we've we've got a website um and we also have a very active facebook page it's alpha kappa alpha sorority incorporated alpha psi omega chapter and they can message us there for uh, more information about uh, our programs you know we're emerging from covid and so we have an opportunity to do more in person than when we've been able to do in the last couple of uh, years and we have a member who just became the director of dreams Mm-hmm. Annette Freeman. So, yes. <laughs> so, Annette Freeman Annette is now Freeman. the director of Dreams. Yes. So, and she's she's a member of uh, Alpha Psi Omega, and so we're really excited about the partnerships that we can do through Dreams for the arts, which we are very excited about. But um, they can also, if they like, they can reach out to me through my webpage. It's uh, crystalfray.com. Uh, and message me there, and we'll put them in touch with our program directors and get them signed up for our activities. And, of course, Janiqua Palmer, yes. you're at the YWCA Lower um, Cape Fear. Yes, and um, you can find me on the website um, at the ywca-lowercapefear.org, as well as uh, Alpha Psi Omega has an Instagram. So for the younger listeners, find us on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> And that is this edition of Coastline Crystal Frey, Janiqua Palmer. Thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you you for having us. Thank you so much. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell. Jonathan Fernell engineered this episode. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. You can find the episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.